Hello and welcome back to another episode of Armchair Analysts, the only podcast that's sparing a thought for Carlos Puyol, who is presumably bawling his eyes out. My name is Rupert Meadows, and I've written and broadcasted about all things football on platforms such as TalkSport Radio and Give Me Sports. My co-host Cameron McDonald has spent three years working as an FA licensed intermediary here in the UK. But above all else, we're fans. Yeah, thanks for that, Rupert. And you've uh, led in quite nicely with that, uh, <laughs> that the only podcast, because uh, this week we are going to be taking uh, a quick look at some of the stuff happening at Barcelona, doing a little bit of a, uh, an unpacking, a little bit more of an investigation, because it keeps coming up. Uh, in all sorts of areas of, of football and everyone's sort of asking the same questions. How are Barcelona simultaneously in real financial trouble and also signing loads and loads of players? And they've signed about 132 million pounds of players, um, plus, you know, as well as sort of getting a couple of free, free players in as well. Um, it's an interesting one. Um, it's a situation that is quite complicated. People keep, you know, talking about economic levers, uh, and, 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 you know, that, that term in and of itself is something that, you know, maybe needs to be dissected and explained. Um, and I think it would just be helpful for our benefit as much as anyone else's to, to just go into this a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, I think if we were going to set any sort of ambition for this, uh, we're really just going to try and, and get to the bottom of whether or not what they're doing is, is a good idea. I think because, We'll kind of talk about how, how it's possible, and it's clearly possible because they're doing it, um, but whether or not it's all going to uh, come back to bite them in the ass, or whether or not they're going to be able to ride the wave and make it out again. There's also been a lot of really interesting um, sort of stories within the story. Like, for example, the uh, the exact makeup of this third economic lever that they got from selling some of Barcelona studios to um, to Sixth Street, and sort of the idea that um, there was, um, I think it was 667 million pounds that they claimed had been invested. And then when you actually look at it, what had happened is Sixth Street they set up a company with Sixth Street. Sixth Street had put in like 530 million, and then Barcelona had put in or 567 million, and Barcelona putting 100 million of their own money into this joint venture and then claim that as part of the income which is like it's not verified that that's happened yet Barcelona refused to comment on it that's the allegation some people have said it's false some people have said it's true but it's like this sort of potential like accounting fancy footwork that Barcelona seem to be doing which is like we, we sort of discussed a little bit about Juan Laporta and sort of the presidency system and how it can you know lead to short-term interests over the long-term interest of the club um but stuff like that is like it's really it's really getting into sort of like Ponzi scheme territory now <laughs> it, it really is yeah and um it, it seems like more than ever Barcelona are just running with this energy of we're Barcelona and it's okay because we're Barcelona so we can kind of do what we want and I, for one, am not obviously a, a big fan of that energy, and I would quite like them to come unstuck a little bit more than they, they already are, because I would hate the, the idea that they can just continue to get away with this. Um, I actually think that this uh, the sale of the studios is their fourth economic lever, not their third, so they've been, uh, they've been making several moves in the last few months. You, 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 you are right. Um, it, but they, it's, so it's been part, they've been selling off Barca Studios, but different parts of it. So the, the selling it to Sixth Street was their, their third economic lever. And then they've sold, uh, further to, um, uh, they've sold 24.5% more of it to, uh, GDA Luma, um, for a further 100 million euros. Uh, so the third and fourth levers were the ones you were referring to. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm, it, it I'm, does I'm, just I'm, sound I'm, like, it does just, <laughs> do, do you ever get the feeling that they're just making this stuff up? I think maybe. I mean, the thing is about Barca Studios. What's interesting is it's like it's as described by 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 the club themselves. It's it's sort of meant to centralize all the audio visual offerings for Barcelona, but it also has sort of like a not completely well defined sort of metaverse tie in, and it's supposed to be sort of like Barcelona's metaverse arm. So that's why it was Socio, sorry, with a with a third um, lever, Sixth Street with a TV rights. Um, but yeah, the the idea that it's like it's a a space for hosting things, but it's also a space for you know audio visual offerings, but it's also a space for you know anything that Barca do leading into the metaverse. So you know, not having seen these contracts, it's interesting to see what owning twenty five percent of Barca Studios entails. Is that one of those things? And obviously, this is the most hypothetical of all hypotheticals. If the metaverse becomes a really big thing in football, as many suggest it might be, have Barca just really scuppered themselves over the next like fifty to a hundred years? If it's kind of like. Um, I'm trying to think of what the equivalent would be, but like, let's say back in, you know, 1980, Barcelona were like, well, we're going to send, sell 25% of any, you know, interactions that happen through this new website thing, Barcelona.com. It was probably not going to be that big if we give like 25% of any <laughs> revenue that comes through that. So, so, so this so whole internet that, thing that, will that, be that. dead in five years. 
right? And, and, you know, with metaverse, you never know. I mean, obviously, and I don't want to get too into the, into the weeds about metaverse and crypto and all that stuff. Who knows if it's going to be as big as everyone suggests. But if indeed the metaverse is like the next thing that the internet was and Barcelona is selling off what is, reportedly their sort of metaverse arm that could be that could be a real wound uh to that to their future finances and future potential finances it sure would be um i i personally still struggle to wrap my head around what exactly the metaverse will mean for football and for sport but you know if if the big people are saying that it's going to be big then i'll defer to them um yeah so that's that's where barcelona are at at the moment um they're selling off assets they are scrambling around for cash um and that's largely because they have continued to spend cash. Um, they've spent quite a lot of money. I think it's over a hundred million, um, on new players this transfer window, including the likes of Rafinha for over 50 million and Robert Lewandowski. Um, and the position that they're in at the moment is that they are unable to, or it's, it's kind of been suggested that they will be unable to, um, register these players before um you know the the end of the the week um and so the reason why they're unable to do that is because of la liga's kind of equivalent of financial fair play which is this thing called limite salarial um which is um basically means that they it's the amount that they're allowed to spend on the first team which is transfer fees um amortizations and wages um and amortizations i'm just going to double check um what that means myself it, it, it amortization is essentially just a way of structuring stuff so that money is paid over time rather than all paid up front so for example any deal where um if you buy a it can, it can be either wages or transfers but if you buy a player for 60 million you can either pay it 60 million up front or it can be a fee that's amortized over six years so it's 10 million every year and this is where barcelona are getting caught up a lot because they have a lot of and it's it's very common to amortize fees a lot of clubs do it because it's just a good way to balance the books and especially with things like financial fair play to consider it's good to you know especially if someone has a contract of five years you can amortize this or that across the length of that so it's just it's a a, a not not ridiculous way to do things but it is something that you then have to you, you then do have to go okay well we do need to pay this money eventually i mean a, a really um interesting example of uh, amortization is the fact that um, barcelona paid or, or they they bought Felipe Coutinho for 140 million pounds uh whenever it was five six years ago and they still owe Liverpool They're some still of that money it off. Yeah, yeah. and 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 in that time Felipe Coutinho has gone on loan come back and then been sold so they've now sold him and they still owe Liverpool money on him as a player yeah I think um that was because um they also Liverpool also had a bunch of uh of activation clauses um within it so if they played a certain amount of games if he um scored a certain amount of goals etc then more and more clauses would be added on at which point Barcelona would have to pay more. Um, and I think those have continued to rack up as well since Coutinho left Liverpool. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, basically it's like, it's like the long-term debt that you get from players. Um, and all of those things added up indicate that Barcelona will not be able to register these new players, um, into their first team squad because they will be in breach of, um, La Liga's financial fair play equivalent. What's quite interesting about it is that they they are in a position where they could register some of them, but there's what there's a couple of reasons why they wouldn't do that. I mean, firstly, <clears throat> just politically in the squad, you know, at this the sale of players like, for example, um, Felipe Coutinho and Ricky Pooch and, and Danny Alves does mean they have a little bit more space on the wage bill. Um, but obviously, politically, registering some players and leaving others in the stands has a whole host of issues. And then if you eventually do manage to register those players, they might be a bit like, hmm, not so sure about all this. Um, but also, <laughs> um, La Liga's regulations have this sort of fine print that basically say that clubs in breach of their limit are only allowed to spend either 25% or 33% of the money raised from squad management on paying transfer fees and wages of new signings. So if even if they registered a couple of them, it would then put them into more trouble down the line, which may be what happens because Barcelona seem to not have any issue with putting themselves in, in trouble down the line. Um It'll be interesting, um, you know, an another interesting part of this whole deal is, you know, some Barcelona fans have been sort of saying that this is all sort of a hatchet job and all this. Um, it should be noted that Barcelona, the first two levers they activated were selling these, these two tranches of TV revenues to, to Sixth Street. Um, right after declining to enter a similar arrangement with La Liga and the fund they have with CVC Capital Partners. Under that deal, only 15% of the money raised could go towards signings and some money would go towards La Liga and a Liga benefit. Barcelona instead decided to go their own way and, um, 
and have more freedom with how they spend the money or that's what that what the plan was so so some Barca fans are suggesting that La Liga are sort of being particularly harsh because Barca didn't play ball I, I do also want to take a quick tangent I want to sort of get back there but I want to take a quick tangent we talked about this last night I find it so weird that loads of Barcelona fans online that I've seen on Twitter are like defending their club to the hilt in all of these actions and I get loving your club but like most cl- like if if most fans that I know their club was doing something like this like you didn't hear Newcastle fans being like oh Mike Ashley oh he's just a misunderstood genius oh this is a hatchet job by the Premier League people are just going what are you doing you are not fit for purpose and I guess it's different because it's not the owners and the, the clubs and the, the fans and the club and it's a president but it's weird how all these you know, Barcelona fans I see who are going like Juan Laporta's a genius you just don't understand it hey, maybe they're right. Maybe they're all economic, you know, whiz kids and, and they see the 4D chess that he's playing and I don't. But I'm just kind of like, it's weird that they're so supportive of this. Um, but maybe that's just what you get, the goodwill you get when you bring in Lewandowski and Rafinha. Well, I mean, I guess the problem is that like Barcelona finished second last season and despite all of this chaos that's happening around them and, and you know, obviously they finished 13 points adrift of Real Madrid, which is very bad. They're still performing at a very high level, albeit not at the highest level. Um, so in that sense, I guess it's different from, um, from what was happening at Newcastle, which was just that he was very systematically running the, the club into the ground. Whereas we talked about this idea of like Barcelona almost acting as a Ponzi scheme. And, and I'm sure people in Ponzi schemes are convinced that it's all working as well, right? Because, you know, that it, yeah, they're using so much momentum to keep going that it is still going. Um, and then the other part I think of it is like, I kind of get the feeling that it really struck me when I, I read the, the news of, do you hear that thing about Marcus Alonso when he arrived in Spain? He was like clutching a note that he'd written when he was a kid about how all he'd wanted to do was play for Barcelona. Did you? Did you? Uh, no, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't hear this. So I just feel like that whole energy is 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 basically... Almost like Barcelona's justification for for continuing to act the way they are because they go, look at this. Players are still falling over themselves to play for us. Players are still picking us over all of these like supposedly more financially stable clubs. Um, you know, like Jules Koundé saying apparently that he's going to wait until Barcelona make an offer. He's going to wait. He doesn't care about Chelsea. He just wants Barcelona. Um, and I just feel like. This sense that Barcelona have this awesome power that they've built up for generations by being an amazingly big club will just carry them through. I mean, for how for how long though? I mean, you look at like Frank De Jong is one of those players until who Sunday, was like... I think. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they've got no. They they can't do anything at the moment. They can't they can't sign their players. So you know, I really think that it might well be as as soon as in 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 a week's time or in, in a few days time i think i think i think it's tomorrow when they play Rio Vallecano that um you know it'll it'll be really down to the wire um but yeah no i i, I think it's interesting because you know you, you talk about that with Marcus Alonso and it's definitely something you hear a lot from players going oh i've always wanted to play for you know either Barca or Real Madrid growing up blah 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 but like uh, i've got to imagine that some actually, players now well, are looking at like how Frankie de Jong's been treated and are going do I want to play there if they're going to potentially turn around and be like, you leave now, no money? I mean, this is this is the, this is the extra crazy thing, right? You're literally looking at a club that is treating their players like shit and you're going, hmm, some of that, please. I'll be different. It's, it's so, I don't know, it seems very stupid from my perspective, but that being said, I'm obviously not in the football world. I, I didn't, Obviously, I wanted to be a footballer like as much as everyone did, but I didn't grow up, you know, training every single day, looking up with admiration at the biggest clubs, hoping, dreaming that one day you'd play for them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I can't, I can't speak to that energy, but it does seem mad to me that that players are still clamouring to to play for Barca. Yeah, no, it does. What, what I will say, uh, just before we sort of wrap up some of the, um, the sort of long-term effects and stuff, because obviously this is, you know, something that, uh, will be sort of, we'll see it over the next few days. And actually at the time of publishing, we'll, uh, we'll have had some sort of answer because it is the, uh, the 12th of August today, um, is, um, 
if Chelsea sign De Jong, if Chelsea sign De Jong and get Barcelona out of this quagmire after Barcelona have been dunking on Chelsea the entire window, are Chelsea the, have had the biggest bitch transfer window of all time? Like, no matter how good Frankie De Jong is, if they pay 80 million and that fixes all of Barcelona's problems, one of those problems being registering the players they've taken from Chelsea. It, what? <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it'll be, it'll be a bit of an L. It'll be a hard L. Although, I think, while I agree that Chelsea are looking pretty shambolic in the window, if you take a step back and you go, okay, Barcelona have managed to get Marcus Alonso lost you there and Andreas Christensen uh, just going up. from Chelsea. Chelsea just, getting Frankie de Jong. Hello? That's not a bad trade for Chelsea. Yeah, that's a very fair point. Uh, they they definitely would have come up, uh, pro- probably off the top of it on uh, on footballing terms, but just in terms of like someone pulling down your pants the entire window and then you being sort of offering them the 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 rope to pull them out of the well, it just just isn't weird. Um, <laughs> have you, but, do you remember? But, um, have you, you ever watch uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine? Uh, no, I haven't. <laughs> when uh, the, um, one of the characters has this whole thing about how he like baiters other people into doing stuff for him. <laughs> 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 yeah, like, that's that's maybe the, the boss and Bernie relationship now. Um, yeah, so so I think you know, obviously, this is the twelfth of August. It may have all been resolved um, by this point, so I don't want to go too far in speculation. But hopefully, this sort of breaking down the idea of economic levers has been a little bit, you know, helpful. The first two, obviously, being you know the sale of those TV rights, a little bit of finagling there from from what that might have been, um, and then also. Um, you know, the, these, these two sales of Barca Studios and, and what that could potentially mean. It'll be interesting to see what this means over the, the term of the future. Cause obviously TV rights and, um, you know, any potential metaverse things are really big for the future. The TV rights they've set up for the next 25 years, uh, for example. So could go really poorly for Barcelona. There, there is a world in which, you know, Barcelona just defy us all and they just, they somehow, you know, are, are just fine uh, as, you know, we've been baffled every time they continue to sign players. I'm not banking on that, though. Um, but that's that's about the size of it for now, unless you have any any final comments. No, that sounds good to me. Um, interesting to see, yeah, what happens. I mean, I, I just feel like... I'm, I mean, popcorn at this point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, next up, please enjoy a special little segment. Uh, Rupert and I are away for the next few weeks, so we've pre-recorded a couple of previews uh, for you all. Uh, next, you'll be hearing my quick deep dive into the 22-23 Serie A season, and we'll be rounding up all of the top five leagues to give you a little bit of an amuse-bouche uh, before we dive into, uh, and, and in some cases have already dived into, uh, the new season. Uh, but that's all for now. Hello, listeners, and welcome to a special segment uh, that we're going to be doing uh, ahead of the start of the season, and indeed in some cases in the start of the season, just after the first week, uh, across the other four of Europe's top five leagues. We talk a lot about the Premiership, uh, the Premier League, um, but let's do a little bit of a deep dive into some of the others. We'll have one uh, for each of those four, uh, each about 15 minutes, to hopefully give you a snapshot into what's happening elsewhere in Europe, what to expect in uh, you know the Champions League, the Europa League, uh, and indeed the Conference league uh, and maybe who's worth keeping an eye on for your team to sign uh, come January or indeed next summer. Um, this will be the Serie A episode. I have been uh, watching Serie A for a long time uh, and the first Italian game I ever watched in person was actually at the San Siro uh, many many years ago, uh, home to the two clubs currently duking it out for the supremacy of, of the league uh, at least over the last couple of years. Um, though the result on that day was a less than thrilling nil-nil against Siena, uh, it was still amazing to watch the likes of Kaká, Pirlo, Nesta, Seydorf and Gattuso running about. Um, definitely uh, some of the best players I've seen live to date um you know in the many many years i've been i've been watching live football um but enough reminiscing let's look at what we've got in store this coming season I think the reason it's interesting to start with Syria in this sort of mini-series is to talk about a bit of a rule change that's happened over in Italy ahead of this season. Um, the Syria has often had quite an interesting way to determine how, you know, position, uh, is finished in the, in, in the table. We in the Premier League use a uh, goal difference and then it's sort of goal scored and it goes various things. But in the, you know, Syria for a long time, it's been head to head and then goal difference and then, you know, goal goes all the way to a coin flip. Um, but starting from the 2022-23 season, if the first and second teams, or indeed the 17th and 18th place teams at the end of the season, are tied on points, 
It doesn't go to goal difference or a head-to-head or anything like that. It goes directly to a playoff tiebreaker match, which will be held at a neutral site to determine uh, either the title or the final team relegated. Um, This tiebreaker will not have extra time and will instead go directly to a penalty shootout should the two teams be tied after 90 minutes. Um, This will be the first time the playoffs would have been used in any sense uh, in the Serie A format since the 2004-05 campaign. So a really, really interesting differentiation there off the bat, the idea that we could have, um, you know, a penalty shootout to decide either who goes down or who wins the league. I'm not really sure which is uh, which is more exciting, to be honest. But if you think about the fact that last season, for example, Milan finished the, the year on 86 points and second place Inter finished on 84 points. The gap isn't that big, and and we're going to go on and talk about you know what Inter have done to close that gap, and and Juventus and Napoli as well. So it could be the case that that we see that sort of this this you know fabled game week thirty nine that I know that we we mentioned a little bit uh, towards the back end of last season. I think sort of five six game weeks out from the end, there was a very you know convoluted set of circumstances that could have led to um, Manchester City and Liverpool having a playoff, but definitely one that um, I'm sure we'll all be rooting for because it's a bit weird, it's a bit different, um, and definitely very exciting to see those things come from football. Let's talk about the champions, Milan. Uh, they were the reigning champions last season um, and have spent most of this summer in the protracted pursuit of highly rated Belg- Belgian midfielder Charlie de Catellari from uh, Club Bruges. Uh, they have now completed that deal, but I'm not massively excited by what else they've really done in the window. Um, they've signed a pair of 31-year-olds on uh, free transfers, I believe, in uh, Junior Messias uh, and Alessandro Florenzi, two solid players who have, you know, experience in the league um but not exactly showstoppers one particularly that's quite interesting is Divock Origi who they've signed on a free um and it could be interesting to see how he reacts to this new lease of life he sort of showed glimpses at Liverpool um and you know he's only 27 years old he could uh, could you know have his uh you know, Jesse Lingard moment if you like over at Milan and in a slightly different league um but I think they've not done enough to to stave off the competition Inter Milan have um have done a lot uh, most notably with the uh, hilarious reacquisition of Romelu Lukaku on loan uh, but also adding Lazio's Joaquin Carrera uh, and uh, from from yeah from Lazio and Andre Onana on a free from Ajax and um, Inter Milan Inter have, have have strengthened quite well. They've also got in uh, players like uh, Christian Eslani uh, on loan from Empoli um, and Henrik Mkhitaryan uh, on a free transfer from from AS Roma. So. Lots of interesting additions there. I think they are going to run Milan a lot closer than they did last season. And as we discussed, that was already only two points. Juventus uh, are always obviously in the mix as well. They finished fourth last season um, and were quite lucky to do that, I suppose. Came in quite late in the day. Uh, But they've pulled in two very interesting free transfers. Obviously, the first and most notable uh, for us in the UK was welcoming Paul Pag- Pogba back to the club, where he became Europe's most sought one of the Europe's most sought after talents. Um, you know, when he was playing at Juventus, he managed to generate the excitement and the interest and the sort of fee that ultimately saw him come to the Premier League of Manchester United. And you know, I think different people will have different perspectives on why his time here worked or didn't work. A lot of uh, United fans, I'm sure, will blame it on the haircuts and, and the fast cars. Others might point out that he is not, nor will he be the last to have gone to that club and not lived up to the uh, the hype that was generated elsewhere. Um, you know, perhaps reevaluate whether the problem might be there. But it'll be interesting to see what happens now that he is back at Juventus, because if he starts to play like he did there in his first spell, it's only to the benefit of, of, of all of us viewers. Um, but you would just have to hope that, um, you know, buyer beware for the club who, who tries to purchase him next. If indeed there is a club, he is now, he is now 29. Um, they've also brought in on a free transfer Angel Di Maria, um, who obviously has been a player at the absolute peak of the um, of the scene for probably about six, seven years now. I feel like sometimes he's a bit of an underrated player, aside from that one year at Real Madrid when they I think they won the first of those three in a row Champions League, and he was sort of the the linchpin there, or sort of the the main man in midfield, the sort of shuttler. Um, but yeah, really exciting player. I, I think what's always interesting about Serie A is you see because it's a slightly more technical game and sometimes can be considered to be a little bit slower, certainly what you do see a lot there is a lot of older players. So someone like Angel Di Maria now is 34. And a lot of the times, um, although another whole discussion about how players' ages and the higher ages are going to be more and more common as fitness gets better, but you often do see players who are a bit older playing in Serie A. Um, so definitely really interesting to see Angel Di Maria continue playing. He went there on a free um, and still see him sort of chopping it up in, in, in you know one of Europe's top leagues and he will be chopping it up in the, in the Champions League as well because, of course, um, events qualified there. 
Juventus did lose uh, Mastelict to Bayern Munich. It had a little bit of a mixed bag there. Um, I think when he signed, uh, there was a lot of expectation that he was going to be, you know, the the answer to something. Um, and he kind of had. You know, not that exciting a time, but he's he's 22. He's gone to Bayern Munich uh, for for 60 odd million, um, and we'll discuss that when we talk about the uh, the Bundesliga and Bayern. But what they've done to bring in a replacement is they have signed uh, Bremer, uh, the Brazilian centre back from rivals Torino, for around 37 million pounds, um, which is quite interesting. I was doing a little bit of looking at um, some of the local newspapers and also some of the local uh, bookmakers, and as it stands, it seems to be that the general feeling in Italy uh, is that Inter are the favourites to to win the title um, Juventus are second favourites and the current champions Milan a third which is, is definitely quite interesting it's not often you see that um and of course, the window is yet open. There is a chance that uh, that Milan could um, yeah add a few players. Um, but yeah, they've really sort of dragged their feet so far, and maybe are putting a little bit too much expectation on a couple of thirty-one-year-olds and Divo Carigi uh, alongside Charles Catalare. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Jose Mourinho's Roma. Uh, they finished seven points off the top four last season, but uh, you know the special one is going to come in and do his thing. He'll ruffle some feathers uh, one way or another. Uh, and they've had some interesting incoming players as well. Zeki Salic, uh, the right back from Lille, who has been um, you know rumored to join one team or another for for the the, the better part of the last three years. Um, has joined them now for only like six million pounds. I think he had run down his contract. It's very interesting there. Uh, and Paolo Dybala added on free as well. So quite interesting there. And as uh, Rupert messaged, um, mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, Nemanja Matic back with Mourinho yet again. Napoli round out the teams that I think will be sort of knocking it knocking it around at the top of the league. Um, they are always sort of there or thereabouts. Um, never quite challenging. I think second, they've had a couple of seconds when Juventus were sort of winning those those nine in a row, but never really making a credible challenge on the league. And I, I think it'll be the same here. Uh, they finished third last season, but quite a way off. And in terms of uh, additions, they've not had anything particularly impressive um, with Mindy Kim coming in from Fenerbahce and uh, Andre Frank Zamangisa after a Premier League slash Championship staple. Um, if you play for Fulham, I suppose that's the case. Uh, joining as well. It'll be interesting to look at some of the new teams who are joining. We have Lecce, who are returning after two years away from the top flight, uh, as well as Cremonense, who haven't seen Serie A football for 26 years. Uh, and Montrose, most interesting of all, we have Monza, who are in the first division for the first time ever in the club's history. Um, so three interesting teams to look at there. Uh, certainly those latter two really unknown quantities um, for a lot of the players in, in the league. Uh I think it'll be interesting always, as always, to look at Atlanta. They scored plenty of goals last season. They actually only scored four less goals than the champions, um, but finished eighth place. Uh, so they need to sort of look and find that balance uh, between attack and defense. But as a result, they are quite an exciting side to watch. So if you get the chance, definitely worth uh, checking out a couple of Atlanta games. They've added uh, Jeremy Berger from uh, Sassuolo uh, and also Edison. Not uh, City's Edison, of course, but the central midfielder playing for Salernitana last season, uh, as well as centre-back Mary Demaral from Juventus and Adamo Luckman, who uh, has moved away from RB Leipzig uh, to Serie A. So definitely a lot of interesting teams. I suppose the question here is going to be looking at who are the players to watch as well. I think obviously a lot of the, uh, the, the signings are very exciting, but there's also the players who've been established there for a long time to think about. Uh, I'm certainly very excited, for example, to see how a 40-year-old uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic fares, um, you know, for, for AC Milan, see if he's going to get a lot of game time, as well as a lot of the other very exciting players that Milan had who are, who are on the younger side, the um, Fikayo Tomoris, the um, the Rafael Liaos, the Brahim Diaz on loan, um, and, you know, Teo Hernandez, lots of um, exciting players who could continue to take an, another step up there. Um, so very, very exciting stuff there. I think um, Allegri, I saw Allegri gets very highly rated he gets linked to a lot of Premier League clubs anytime there's a free thing but I, I watched him manage Milan and now that he's at events I'm still sort of massively convinced it is now his sort of his second season back in um, so it'll be interesting to see how they do I think second third is obviously a lock it was a he, he came in and did quite well after they had sort of a turbulent start to the season but I'm, I'm not not massively convinced I think um, yeah Napoli the fact they've lost Kalido Koulibaly is going to be huge for them Um 
the additions they've had i don't know if it's enough i do think that they have quite a good squad but it's just they 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 scream to me they're kind of like the arsenal of back in the day where they're just sort of a lock for top four but but not really anything further than that some people do think that um Mourinho is able to um you know, change things. Um, Paolo Fonseca, um, sort of languished a little bit with them and then Mourinho sort of came in and they had, you know, one, one point difference. Um, but also did win the, the Europa Conference League. Uh, take that with, you know, however you want to take it, but maybe that trophy is going to inspire a little bit of confidence. Um, for them as well. Um, Fiorentina are another one that I, I really do want to uh, talk about. Um, they had a really disappointing 13th place finish in the 2019-20 season. Um, and then in the 2020-21 season, they had, uh, quite the revival, um, on the pitch last, you know, then and, you know, even further to last season, 21-22, they qualified for the conference league, uh, and did, did some, did some quite well. Vincenzo Italiano, their manager, um, has done quite a good job in sort of digging them out of something of a quagmire there out underneath. What about the sides that uh, are going to go down? Well, obviously, the three new road sides that I mentioned are, um, you know, going to be in the mix. But uh, Empoli and Salernitana both managed to stay up last season and will be back in the conversation. Um, Cremonese is the only, only the eighth Serie A appearance in club history. Um, doesn't really have a lot of experience in Italy's top flight. Um and I'm not a hundred percent sure they'll, you know, they, they, they could surprise, but very little data suggests they'll, they'll come in. What's interesting about Monza, obviously the first time in their, their club's history being in, um, they'll definitely be interesting to watch, if not least because they are owned by, uh, Silvio Berlusconi, um, who, uh, you may know as his stint as the former Italian prime minister. You may know as his former stint as AC Milan's owner, um, but is now back in Syria and, um, Taking, taking over Monza. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, what sort of antics and activities go on over there. Uh, but certainly, you know, Berlusconi oversaw a side that mixed it up quite well in, in the league beforehand. So it'll be interesting to see if that uh, if that has any effect this year. Um, but that about does it for the quick preview for the Serie A sides. Uh, I appreciate this is very skin deep, just an overview of some of the, um, you know, most exciting transfers and initial impressions. This is recorded, uh, today on the 12th of August. So, uh, the actual season proper kicks off tomorrow. We haven't had the benefit of a first game week to look over how teams play. Um, but I quite like that. I quite like just as I sprung first impressions on Rupert last season, I've had to think on my feet and go off, um, you know, all hypotheticals it'll be interesting to see uh looking back at this how brutally brutally wrong i was on some things when um you know napoli do defy expectations and and win the league which certainly would be interesting certainly i know that the thing i'll be hoping for most of all is um what you know what we discussed at the very top of the episode this idea of a a game week 39 a penalty shootout to to decide who wins the league and and ideally as well a penalty shootout to decide who um who gets relegated i don't think it gets much more high pressure than that i think arguably even more high pressure than doing it to win like in a big final is sort of like you know knowing that if you if you don't score a penalty people will lose their jobs people probably will get sacked it's it's hard to imagine a much more high pressure situation than that um because that is what happens with the relegation um all in all, though, Syria, very, very exciting. Lots of teams to watch out for. Um, we will be looking at particularly the, the four Champions League clubs, I'm sure, in a lot of the bigger games, Milan, Inter, Napoli, and Juventus, uh, with Lazio and Roma taking up the spots in the Europa League. And Fiorentina currently in the playoffs, um, for the, or Fiorentina, you know, in, in the mix in the, um, yeah, Europa Conference League. Um, so yeah. Please feel free to let me know if you are a, a serious Syria watcher, uh, week in, week out, and uh, based on your experiences of preseason and analysis of the moves that have been made, you think I'm way off base. Um, or you know, feel free to th- let me know if you think I've done okay. <laughs> uh, either way, the email address to contact is hosts at armchairanalyst.com. That'll be it from me for now. Thanks. Hello, hello. Um, so, moving on in the uh, the little mini-series that we're doing here, Cam and I talking about um, the other four different European leagues, um, Germany, Italy, France and Spain. Uh, I'm going to be talking about Spain this time. Um, we've just heard a little bit more about Barcelona and some of their financial struggles. Um, and in terms of why you might be thinking, you know, what what's in it for me? Why should I be watching La Liga this year? Um, And I think really similar to why 
a lot of people value the Premier League um, and not necessarily always other leagues such as La Liga. Um, it's the chaos element. Um, I think this year more than ever, no one really knows what the hell is going to happen um, on both ends of the table. Let's talk about it. Um, so last season saw eight teams change managers, including the top ones, both Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um, strangely enough, though, that's actually the second lowest turnover in managers in Spain since 1985. But do not be fooled into thinking that this is a uh, indication of stability anywhere. So in terms of what's happened so far, obviously uh, they've played one game. Um, from a European perspective, all eyes have massively been on Barcelona and also from, I guess, our perspective as a podcast um, and their baffling contrast of troubling financials and then also big outlay signings. They now sit at very similar odds to Real Madrid with the bookies uh, to win the title. But you really have to wonder how long this charade will be able to be maintained uh, with players already being unable to be um, signed due to financial restrictions um, registered that is it's hard not to think that the wheels are already coming off a little bit uh, Real Madrid in contrast have had quite a quiet time relative to Barcelona that is um, the main storyline for them in the last year or so has been that um, Kylian Mbappe was supposed to join them this summer um, but he has very publicly rejected them and they now have in this window only really picked up a few uh, like a, a good defensive prospect Rudiger and uh, a good midfielder prospect in Chuameni. With no Mbappe Madrid will be very dependent on Karim Benzema to score goals again um, if he can keep doing what he did last season then it shouldn't be a problem he was absolutely firing on all cylinders um, if not and he is 35 um, or if he gets injured they could well be in trouble. Vinicius is is still picking up um, and improving as a player, but um, you know he still has a lot to learn, and I think a lot of his attacking outlay is reliant on Karim Benzema um, being the the force that he is up front. Um, so, if Madrid's title hopes rest on Benzema, Barca's will surely lie with getting their new signings bedded in as fast as possible. Um, Atletico Madrid always the, the third option in the title race, are an interesting proposition. Um, they won the, the, the league. They won the league um, in 2020-21 season, so uh, the season before last. Um, but this time they finished with 15 points adrift of Real Madrid at the top of the table. Um, despite that, however, the underlying statistics indicate that the year before, when they did win the title, they just happened to be massively outperforming in certain metrics in terms of expected returns of goals, assists, clean sheets. Um, and that actually last season, they were slightly better. Um, when it comes to statistics, we, we on the podcast tend to take, I guess, uh, we try to take a measured view. Obviously, it doesn't represent everything, but there is something to be said in the underlying numbers behind, um, for example, where people are getting shots from um, and, you know, how many goals you can expect to score from those kind of positions historically. You know, historical data is always still, you know, quite interesting to look at. So they massively overperformed season before last. They had slightly better statistics, but didn't outperform them and they finished massively adrift. So... It could well be that, despite the fact that they haven't massively improved themselves, they've picked up Axel Witzel's probably the most exciting signing that they've made. Um, a very good European footballer who brings a lot of stability. You know, that they could well be on track for performing better again this season. Um, the major differential for them between those two seasons was actually their goalkeeper, Jan Oblak, um, who went from saving nine more goals than was expected of him to conceding six more. Um, he's still regarded as one of the best goalkeepers in the world, but he will definitely have to bounce back this season if Atleti want to challenge. Um, the general aura at the club is not particularly exciting, with some suggesting that it could be time for Simeone to move on. So eyes will also be on him to see whether or not he can flip the narrative and come out on top again. Lord knows he's done it before. So it's an interesting um, situation that we have with those, those three, because Real Madrid... Um, had a bit of a knock, didn't get the player they wanted, not strengthened an attack. Um, and, you know, they're, they're very reliant on a player who's quite old and could just get injured at any time. Barcelona, 
I mean, they're just a spin of the wheel at this point. They've got so many new signings that anything could happen. They could be extremely good or, you know, they could just fall apart at the seams at times. Um, and then Atleti are by far and away the most stable of, of those clubs. Simeone's been there for 12 years. Um, Atletico Madrid, I'm sure any uh, any English football fans who've come up against um, Atleti in the championship, the Champions League will know that he is... Uh, you know, a really difficult manager to get past and that he's a very much a, a known prospect. Um, so if he can use his experience and use the, the players that you've got, and he does have a good squad, um, he might well be able to be a little bit of a surprise package in the um, the challenge for the title. Um, so in, in terms of that title, uh, last season Madrid won with 13 points ahead of Barcelona and 15 points ahead of Atleti. Um, and Barcelona last season were knocked out in the European groups. They won nothing. They were way off the pace. Um, but they did improve under Xavi. Um, this is all obviously before the, the chaos of this summer. But uh, towards the end of, of last season, they managed to get um, an under Xavi, under his whole tenure. They got 53 points from 25 games. If they'd maintained that pace... So if Xavi had been in charge of them from the beginning, perhaps, then that would have put them on pace to finish with 80 points for the season. So it's just six points behind Real Madrid, a 10-point differential. So it, the, the gap is actually potentially a lot closer to, to Madrid than might be perceived. But as I say, it's anyone's guess what kind of Barcelona we're going to be seeing this season. Um, in terms of who will be battling for Europe, um, I think... Uh, you can fairly consistently rely on those top three being in the top three or at least the top four. Um, but it is that fourth spot that's up for grabs. And last season it was severe, um, but they are not looking particularly exciting, I do not believe. I'll be uh, discussing them a little bit later on as uh, the team that I think might be in trouble. Um, but the team that I think might be um, challenging for them is Villarreal. Um, they are under a very good manager in Unai Emery. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that everyone in England will agree with me when I say that, but um, Villarreal in, in general are, you know, very much on the up and up since they, they brought in Unai Emery um, back in 2020. A couple of months after he came on board, he managed to break their club record of 18 matches unbeaten. The next year in, in May 2021, he obviously uh, beat Manchester United in the Europa League final, um, which is... The first time I've ever been in a European final, let alone won a European trophy. Um, and then uh, I think equally importantly is that um, in November last year, he was approached to um, potentially take the, um, the managerial spot at Newcastle, which he turned down and said he was very committed to Villarreal. Um, and in that season, last season, he managed to get Villarreal to the semi-finals of the Champions League. So they're very much um, moving up. And last season, they only managed to finish seventh place. So they qualified for uh, Europa Conference League playoffs. Um, and I think that in terms of, of momentum, uh, while for the last year or two, he might very well have been focusing on Europe, this season we might well see Villarreal um, putting a lot more a uh, time and effort into domestic competition and I think we could well see them pushing on into the, the fourth and fifth spots um, so they're they're the team that I think uh, might well might well be challenging um, and I'd also put them as as one of the teams who are the most exciting to watch um, a couple of other ones would be uh, Rio Vallecano um, they only just got promoted last season, but they managed to finish 12th place. Um, and uh, their underlying numbers, statistically again, um, put them inside the top 10 for quite a lot of metrics. So uh, they're definitely a team on the up, similar to Villarreal, and one to keep an eye out because they could be a little bit of an upset package. And we might even see them in Europe next season. So you never know. Um, Real Betis, I think, uh, are always a bit of an interesting prospect. Their recent preseason game against Marseille actually ended up in a bit of a bust-up between Matteo Guendouzi, who English fans will remember, and uh, Betis legend Joaquin. In theory, they're one of the, the best teams in the league, but um, there's just a little bit of an air of, of uncertainty around them, and they could well uh, be on the way down um, alongside Sociedad as well. Not particularly strong in terms of, of uh, the numbers supporting. They only had a, a goal difference of plus three, Compared with Villarreal, who finished 
below them plus 26 so the, the margins are really fine for Sociedad um, and Bill Bow in eighth place could well be pushing in so we could see a little bit of a bit of a switcheroo between kind of fourth fifth sixth and and maybe seventh eighth and ninth uh, which would be uh, always fun to see always fun to see uh, you know different teams moving up different teams moving down um, moving on to relegation candidates uh, now this is where it gets quite interesting in La Liga because um Three teams, Getafe, Mallorca and Cadiz, were all just one point above the relegation zone last season. And Viacano, Elche and Espanyol were all four points above. So six teams finished just four points above 18th place. Any of those six could be facing the drop. I've already said that I think that uh, Viacano might well do quite well. Um, and also you've got three new teams coming up. Um, this year from uh, Liga Segunda. So basically, it's really close to the bottom and any one of those eight, nine teams could uh, could well be facing the drop. Um, in terms of surprise package, though, I would select one of those teams in Cadiz. Um, of all of those, they very much have momentum on their side. Uh, and if you think that Newcastle's push for um, getting out of the relegation zone last season was impressive then Cadiz's was equally impressive um, finishing in the very last day of the season just one point above relegation um, they managed to get 25 points from their last 18 games and um, if you kind of multiply those numbers and if if you imagine that they were able to to maintain that form for the whole season that would have put them ninth with 52 points so uh, again, very much a team on the up and up. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of movement across the table over the course of the season and when compared to last season. So, um, in terms of you know why I think it's going to be an interesting year in Spain, that's that's probably really what I would say. Um, let's talk about players to watch. Um, Pedri for Barcelona is an obvious one. Um, a lot of players moving around him and coming in at Barcelona. Um, he's managed to establish himself last season as a first-choice starter when he's not injured. He's really come into his own in, in recent months. When he plays, Barcelona look much better. Um, a criticism laid at his feet is that he doesn't contribute enough goals, but his overall game is excellent. And um, you know Barcelona are picking up quite a few new attacking signings, and so he will he'll probably not be needed to... Uh, be relied on too much to hit the back of the net. So, you know, if he's able to have a, a run of games uninjured, then we could well see him you know, kicking on and, and progressing into the next stage of his very exciting career. Um, I also want to give a, a quick shout out to one of Barcelona's new signings, which is Rafinha. Um, you know, coming in from Leeds, he has joined from a system which is very fluid, um, very creative, and one in which he had really good numbers. And um, that fluidity looks like it's going to be pretty pretty perfect for Barcelona's struggles last season which was that um, at times they they found it hard to to real, really create um, in the middle of the park and uh, kind of going through into the attack but in those central zones so having someone like Rafinha who's very adept at um, you know moving positions all across that front three um, could well be um, just what they're looking for so um, I think some people looked at that signing and went oh why is Barcelona picking up Rafinha for 50 plus million but he actually might be quite a quite a nifty little pickup um, he's left footed he's got an actual inclination to kind of drift in from the right hand side um, and uh, you know cut towards goal I think um he, he could well be um, the player that stands out amongst the signings, despite you know some of the biggest names um, that are joining them this year. For Real Madrid, I think um, Aurelian Chouameni is is exciting. You can't really look past him. Um, they spent 80 million euros on him, and he is uh, he was a much sought after player in Europe. He's only 22, and he's just an, an incredibly consistent uh, multifaceted midfielder he's very good defensively um, he's very good at progressing the ball um, and seems to be the player that Real Madrid have identified as uh, probably similarly to to Camavinga um, another French player that they've brought in to kind of strengthen that midfield um, someone that they're looking to, to to maybe be the next generation and when you look at Real Madrid I think it's easy to be quite critical of, of some of the signings they've made, some of the players they've let go, etc. Um, but 
they really do look like they are building for the future. They've got Minisys coming through, who, as I said, he's still got a lot to learn, but he is excellent. Um, and then Kamavinga's fantastic. Chuameni's fantastic. Um, and that could well be very exciting. Just wrapping up now, uh, let's talk very briefly about um, a team that I think is going to be in trouble. I mentioned it earlier, Sevilla. Um, they're an interesting prospect this year. They've been in the Champions League spots for the last three years. So since uh, 1920 season, um, but momentum is very much not on their side, despite their relative stability in maintaining those top four finishes the last few seasons. Um, last year, fans were actually calling for their manager, Lopetegui, to leave. Um, and then this window, they lost two uh, key defenders, their centre-back partnership, um, their first choice centre-back partnership, Jules Koundé to Barca and Diego Carlos to Villa. Um, they've had a really bad pre-season. The pick of the bunch being a 6-0 loss to a very new-look Arsenal. Uh, and they've already lost their opening fixture to Osasuna, who finished 10th last season and it was away. So it's not a shambolic result, but by no means an indicator of a strong start. So, um, you know, rumblings are already there that they might be in a little bit of trouble. And I think that if if Lopetegui ha- does hit a bit of a slide, he could well be on, on the way out, which um, I think could see Sevilla slipping into the Europa League spots, or maybe even out of Europe entirely. Um, They have picked up one or two new signings, including Isco, who is obviously excellent. Um, But we will have to see whether or not it is enough for them to maintain their current league position. Um, So, yeah, that is my um, brief take on La Liga. I think... um, it's going to be very exciting um, to see really what will happen because anything could happen. If Barcelona, kind of all eyes have been on them, they really do kind of not represent, but they, they, they're always in, indicative of a little bit of turmoil uh, in and around the league elsewhere as well. So, um, you know, I think it'll be fun to watch even just for entertainment value. Um, one of those ones where, uh, you know, terms of like looking after your own uh, um, your own emotions you probably almost don't want to have a horse in the game because you don't know where they're going to finish or uh, how they're going to perform on on the day um, so there you go I hope uh, that some of you will be tuning in to to Spain's football this year and uh, I for sure will be excited to see what is going to happen and that um, wraps it up for, for this week's episode. Um, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed uh, Cam and Mai's perspectives on Europe. Um, and we will catch you next week. Cheers, guys. Armchair Analyst was recorded remotely by Cameron McDonald and Rupert Meadows. The album artwork was provided by our good friend Amschel.